Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Then he also said to him who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, Invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Is this on? This is the lapel. Can people hear me? Is it on now? Okay, good. So good morning and happy Sabbath, everybody. I hope you guys all had a very wonderful Thanksgiving. I know that I did. And it wasn't just with food, but we won't get into that. So before we get started, I'm just going to have prayer. Dear Father in Heaven, we want to say thank you so much for today. For the blessings that you've given each one of us. For the gift of life, Father God. We just ask and we pray that once again you be with everyone here and be with me as I speak the words that you put on my heart. We love you, we thank you, we praise you for who you are and what you are to each one of us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So I'm going to give a little caveat this morning, and if I say something here that offends somebody, I apologize. I am not here to offend, but I'm going to speak what I feel I need to speak. But those are words from here, and we'll get into that briefly, and hopefully I don't. But anyways, so this past week we had Thanksgiving, and typically I I don't do sermons with the holidays, but I chose to do one this week, and when I came to church last week and I saw the pastor's sermon, I went, oh, he's going to do the same thing, and he didn't, which made me very happy, but he did talk about the almost forgotten holiday, and you will actually see why in a few moments, why Thanksgiving is the almost forgotten holiday, um, before we get into the heart of our sermon. So, We have been blessed this week to celebrate Thanksgiving. The Thanksgiving holiday has a history, as do the other holidays we celebrate here in America. And there is some contention over when the first Thanksgiving was actually celebrated. But there are some interesting historical facts about Thanksgiving that we can be sure of. So I'm going to give you a few interesting facts about Thanksgiving. Some of these are going to be like, wait a minute, that has to do with Thanksgiving? But there's a few things, and some of them are 
fairly modern. Some of them are not. So I got seven of them for you. George Washington, in his capacity as first U.S. president, proclaimed Thursday, November 26th, 1789, as a day of public thanksgiving. And the reason he did that was because Congress asked that a day be set aside, and he did it. And he celebrated it, and most everyone else ignored it. Then, number two, after a variety of dates were used to celebrate a National Day of Thanksgiving, all set by different presidents during their terms, Abraham Lincoln finally proclaimed that Thanksgiving should be on the last Thursday of November. So we don't do that. We don't have Thanksgiving on the last Thursday of November. It's the second to the last Thursday of November, and there's a reason for that. Man and his greed. In 1939, this is fact number three, in 1939, Franklin Roosevelt changed the date to celebrate the Thanksgiving to the second to the last Thursday in November. In order, y'all, how many of you actually, real quick, how many of you went shopping on Black Friday? Anybody brave enough to raise their hands? Only a couple people. A few people. Here's, here's your beginning of Black Friday. It wasn't called that back then, but this is the beginning of it. Franklin Roosevelt changed the date to celebrate Thanksgiving to the second to the last Thursday in November in order to provide the economy a boost through an extended Christmas shopping season. So instead of three weeks of shopping for Christmas, you now have an extra week. And then you get Black Friday and that, and then now, now you've got Cyber Monday. This is all to boost the economy. It had nothing to do with really celebrating thanks, but this is, this, is what, this is what he did. Now, here we go. But here's the, here's the unique thing about this. FDR did this. 32 states agreed with the change. 32 states said, yeah, we can, we can accept that. But 16 said, we don't think so. 16 states said, no, we like the old date. And for two years, those 16 states celebrated a totally different date for Thanksgiving than the other 32. So... In this country, there was a point in time when we were celebrating two days for Thanksgiving, not just one. I found that very unique. Ultimately, a, few years af- a couple years after, Congress actually resolved the issue by saying this is going to be the date that we celebrate Thanksgiving. Fact number four. How many of you watched the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Anybody? I remember growing up watching it. You know, I did all, we did almost every year, when, you're, when your father's in the military and you're in a foreign country, anything, anything that you can watch that's from the homeland is really nice. And so we used to watch it all the time. But, the, but, but it wasn't really about Thanksgiving either, even though they made it about that. But here we go. The Macy's Day Thanksgiving Parade tradition started in 1924. So it's, almost, it's been going on for almost 100 years. Okay. With a six-mile-long procession, including animals from the New York Zoo, that ended at the Macy's store. So it wasn't about celebrating Thanksgiving; it was about getting people into the store. Okay, brilliant sales plan of the department store president. Today's parade is only two and a half miles long for ease of television viewing for those who watched on television. That's how long it is. Number five, and the pastor mentioned this last week, the original Thanksgiving feast was not about 
turkeys, they used venison, they used deer. That was what it was, the original Thanksgiving feast. Number six, I don't know if you guys realize this, but do you all realize that a turkey gets pardoned every year at Thanksgiving? It's called a presidential pardon. Here we go. Traditionally, each Thanksgiving, since Abe Lincoln was president and his son begged to spare the life of their intended Thanksgiving turkey, the incumbent president continues to pardon a turkey who then lives out its natural life on a farm. Be thankful if you're that turkey. If, you know. And last but not least, my favorite fact about Thanksgiving, it's not for most folks, it is for a lot of guys, not sure about girls, ladies, What's about football on Thanksgiving? I love watching football on Thanksgiving. You realize the first Thanksgiving Day game started in 1934? 1934 was the first televised game of football. It wasn't the NFL, but it was the Detroit Lions. They were the first. But in 1966, the NFL commissioned two teams to play continuously with a home game, and that was the Cowboys and the Lions on Thanksgiving Day in 1966. So there was a few facts about Thanksgiving that are, people will say, well, those aren't Thanksgiving facts. Well, those are things that people do on Thanksgiving Day today, in our day, okay? Outside of the above facts, there is some contention over when and where the first Thanksgiving Day, Day was actually celebrated in this country. But as a Massachusetts native by birth, and for illustration purposes in this sermon, I will espouse the traditional accepted date and location for the first Thanksgiving, celebrated between the Native Americans and the English pilgrims at Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1621. A pertinent fact about that first Thanksgiving feast was that out of the hundred pilgrims, I don't know if you guys realize that, but when the Mayflower came over and the pilgrims came over, there was a hundred pilgrims. But at that first Thanksgiving, 50 of them were dead. They had died from disease, sickness. They never made it to that feast. At all. 50%. Only 50 survived to attend that feast. That would be only half of those who were prepared to live in the new world and who should have been at that feast that actually made it there. All hundreds should have. But they weren't prepared for what they faced in that time period. Let's open up our Bibles and remember other feasts mentioned there with similar attendance. People say, wait a minute, some of these things are going to read. They're not feasts, but they are, if you stop and you think about the context. So let's turn to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verses 1 to 13. I'm going to read this for you. This is about the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Wait a minute, this is not a feast, this is about a wedding. We'll get into that in a moment. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their, lamp, in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, 
for us and you, but go rather to, rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him for the wedding, excuse me, to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now some people might sit there and go, hey, wait a minute. There's no feast there. But it's a wedding. Most of us have been to a wedding. The wedding is a small part of the, what actually happens. I've been to a Catholic wedding. It lasted five minutes. The feast lasted for almost two to three hours. The feast after the wedding So this is a wedding, but there's a feast after it, folks. And if you know anything about biblical weddings, they lasted for how many days? Seven days. Seven. Seven days of a feast. The original Thanksgiving feast was three days. Today we celebrate one day. One day. So here we go. That original feast for Thanksgiving feast, 50% of the pilgrims weren't there. At this, at this feast, at this wedding feast, which you want to call it the big Thanksgiving feast, when all is said and done, only 50% of these people were ready to go. 50%. Only 50% of those expected to attend made it to that wedding feast. So how do we get to be part of the 50% that make it to the heavenly Thanksgiving feast that we are preparing for? How? How do we get to be ready for that feast? How do we get to be those that get to go in instead of those that are shut out? It is not enough to realize that the 50% that did not make it to the feast already mentioned died as a result of sickness. Just like 50% of those pilgrims died from sickness. But our sickness, that sickness of those folks is called sin sickness. And we're we're all infected with it. Yeah, we all are. Into this world, we also want to look at what what those who survived and attended the feast did to prepare for it. So, let's turn to Luke, chapter 14. We want to look at verses 7 to 14, and I'm going to read them in your hearing, and they say this. So we told a parable. This is Jesus telling this parable. To those who were invited, when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you, begin, then you, then you beginning with shame to, to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner, this is our scripture, or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, 
for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And I have to admit to you that when I'm reading this scripture, <laughs> going through getting ready for the sermon, I had to sit there and say, and we just had friends over for Thanksgiving, or we had family over for Thanksgiving. Should we be really inviting them to our house for a Thanksgiving meal? And I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying not to have friends and family over. I'm not saying that. But there's a, maybe there's a reason for this that we're missing. Because when you look at other scriptures that we look at later, the ones who actually show up to the feast are the blind, the lame, the maimed, the ones who were not invited. The ones who can't pay back what God has done for them. Think that process through. We, we think about ourselves on Thanksgiving or on our friends and family. Should we be thinking about other people who are less fortunate than we are? Think that process through. So those who are prepared to go to a feast need to be humble about it and not make assumptions about their status. With that in mind, keep that in mind. So don't sit there and go to a feast and say, yeah, you go, you're invited to your neighbor's house or your friend's house or family's house for Thanksgiving and you know that, yo, I'm sitting right here because this is next to the biggest part of the turkey. This is next to the biggest pie. This is next. No. I don't know about some of you, but I've been to some places where I've been assigned a seat. I can't just go assume that I can sit where I want to sit. You know, and think about that process. If you were going to a wedding, do you go and sit where the bride and groom are supposed to sit? I know some people that might like to do that, but it's not. Sometimes there's assigned seating. So it's best to go and be humble about that. Think that through. But let's, keeping all that in mind, let's turn to Matthew 22. Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And they say this. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. Oh, another parable. And said, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. They had been given the invitation now it's time to come in. Yo, we don't want to come. We're sorry. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways. One of his own, one to his own farm, another to his business and the rest. Here's the part that grabs. The rest seized his servants, treated them spiritedly, spirit, spiritfully and killed them. Wow. Excuse me, spitefully. And killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. 
So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? He was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, few are chosen. That big Thanksgiving feast that God's preparing for us in heaven, there is a group of people that don't want to go there. And they make excuses about everything under the sun that they think they have to do. And they don't want to go. And in fact, to the point where they even kill the messenger saying the feast is ready to, ha- to happen. Hmm. You think back to the story of the children of Israel and Jesus told them themselves, you who killed the prophets. Because he sent them prophets to warn them about what was coming and they didn't want to hear it and they killed them. It's the same thing happens then and it also happens today. So the guests invited to this feast acted in a variety of ways. Some were too busy to bother getting ready. Some were angry that they were even asked and destroyed those who invited them, and all those were then destroyed themselves. Then other guests were asked to come, and of those who came in, only those wearing the wedding garment. What is the wedding garment here in this instance? It's Christ's robe of righteousness. We've got to be wearing that to take part of that heavenly feast at the end. That Thanksgiving feast. We have to have that garment on. Those are the ones that are allowed to remain. Now before we consider another feast parable from the Bible, let's hear some some words from the inspired pen of Ellen White. Jesus added a warning to those who had been impressed by his words, who had heard him gladly, but who had not surrendered themselves for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is not only by resistance, but by neglect that the soul is destroyed. So we can resist the Holy Spirit, but we can neglect it too. Now, I'm not going to sit here and I don't want a show of hands, but, but we all have a Bible, whether it's on your phone or you have it in hand. The question is, do we pick it up every day and read it? Do we feast on what's inside? What, do we feast on what's in here? Do we neglect it? Do we neglect getting on our knees? Or the only time that we think we can get any kind of nourishment is when we come to church. It's not enough, guys. It's not enough. Here's why. Why? It is not only by resistance, but by neglect that the soul is destroyed. So being ready for the feast requires more than just being invited. It requires humble acceptance of the invitation and surrender of self to the working of the Holy Spirit to change our characters to be ready for the feast. So, let's go back to Luke chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 16 and we're going to go to verse 24. This is is right after Jesus told the parable about don't take the most honored position. A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and and sent his servants at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. Sure sounds like something we read a few minutes ago. It's the same basic feast. 
just in a different part of the Bible. But they all, with one accord, notice that, with one accord, they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here... Oh, this is what we read earlier. Bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. Wow. What about us? We're all invited to that big feast at the end, but are we making excuses? Do we sit there and say, yo, man, I got a new car, I got to go test drive it? Oh, I just got married, Lord, let me enjoy the fruits of that for a while. Oh, I just got a new cell phone, Lord. I'm sorry, I got to play the latest video game on my phone. I just got a new rifle. I want to go out and shoot that deer. Oh, Lord, please. Do we make those kind of excuses? Oh, oh, Lord, I just don't have time. I've got to get up and exercise. I don't have time to spend with you. I wonder. I'm asking. Here we see it again. Those invited to the feast made excuses about why they were too busy to come, why they were neglecting to prepare and come. So others of a more willing and humble nature were sought to fill the feast hall. As we consider those who prepared for this happy feast occasion, let's turn briefly to a passage from the Desire of Ages that tells us how to be at the happiest of all feasts, the heavenly feast that follows our arrival in heaven. You realize there's a, there's a passage that tells us what we need to do. And so many of us, we just neglect it. Spirit of Prophecy says this, It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. A thoughtful hour. Not five minutes. Not two minutes. Not 20 minutes. Not half an hour. Not 45 minutes. A thoughtful hour. Each day, contemplating the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. Here's the key to this. If we would be saved, notice that, if we would be saved at the last, we must learn the lesson of penitence and humiliation at the foot of the cross. We have to learn that if we wish to be saved. If we wish to partake of that Thanksgiving feast at the end of time with God. In other words, if we would attend the heavenly feast, we must repent of sin and humbly accept Christ's covering blood shed on the cross. But there's still more. Also remember that feast preparation and attendance requires a relationship with the feast holder. Consider these words from the spirit of prophecy as well. 
Your mind was given that you might understand how to work. Your mind, so that you and I would know how to work. Your eyes were given that you might be keen to discern your God-given opportunities so we can see what the Lord wants us to see. Your ears are to listen for the commands of God. Ooh, so we can hear him speak to us. Your knees, oh, your knees are to bow three times a day in heartfelt prayer. And I heard that and I read that. All I could think about was Daniel. And what was it that Daniel did three times a day? What was he thrown into a lion's den for three times a day? Because he prayed three times a day. You know, everything that we need in life is found between the pages of this book. Everything we need. And the example shown to us is there for a reason. But so many of us sit there and say, well, I don't have time to pray three times a day. For crying out loud, I'm working. Maybe we have more time than we give ourselves credit for. Your feet are to run in the way of God's commandments. Thought, effort, talent should be put into exercise that you may be prepared to graduate into the school above and hear from the lips of one who has overcome all temptations in our behalf. The words, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcome and I'm sat down with my father in his throne. We want to hear those. We've been told these are things that we should do. We all want to be at the heavenly Thanksgiving feast that Jesus is preparing for us. Let's consider one last parable together as we think about how to be hungry for that heavenly feast. And this is a parable from Morris Venden. I love this parable. It's called The Banquet. Now, some people would say, wait a minute, that sounds like a breakfast. And it is, in a sense, but it's a banquet. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John 6, 35. When I awoke in the morning, the table was there. Perhaps it had been there before, but I had never noticed it. And it was such a large table, so colorfully spread, that I can't imagine how anyone could have missed it. It was simply loaded with food. There was homemade bread and fruit. Whatever food you liked best, it was there. It was, in fact, the most attractive table that I'd ever seen. I approached the table for a closer look and was greeted by a tall man, apparently the host. Come and dine, he said joyfully. Would you like for me to show you to a seat? I hesitated. Uh, not so sure. Could I ask you a few questions first, though? Certainly, he replied. Whose banquet is this? I mean, who prepared it? Who is issuing the invitations? He said, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will let him take the water of life freely. Revelation twenty two seventeen. 17. You, you, you mean I, I, I don't have to do anything? That's right. I don't usually get that hungry for breakfast, I said as I considered the offer. I looked hopefully up and down the table. You don't happen to have some of those breakfast bars from Carnation that I could just stick in my pocket and eat on my way to work, do you? It would surely save me a lot of time. The host smiled. You will find that you have more appetite than you think you do, at least most of the time. In the morning, your body is best prepared to digest the food. If you take time at the beginning of every day to eat a good breakfast, you will find that you have much more energy for your work and will be much more efficient. Still, I hesitated. 
I've known some people who started out eating breakfast, and the next thing it was breakfast, and then it was dinner, and then it was supper. And then, to add that, they added a few snacks in between. Finally, they were eating all day long and got so fat they could hardly walk around. It's true, the host replied, that those who do nothing but eat will soon cease to eat. But it is equally true that those who don't eat at all will die. If you come to this table every day and eat a balanced meal centered around the bread of life, you will find the energy you need to work in the vineyard all day long. He was doing pretty well in winning me to his side, but then I noticed something. Sitting on the far side of the table was the preacher from my church. His plate was filled with good things, and he was eating with obvious enjoyment. Oh, look, that's my preacher, I said to the host. Yes, he responded. He's here every morning. He is a great believer in eating a good breakfast. Why, why that's wonderful, I said. That will save me a lot of time because, you see, I go to hear him every week. Since I know he's eating right himself, I can trust him to tell me what food is really like. I won't have to come here and take the time to eat for myself. Come to think of it, this is probably why he can describe food so graphically. I tell you, some weeks it's enough to make your mouth just, just, just water. It's true that someone can best share the invitation to the banquet when he has tasted it for himself. The host responded, but no one, and let me repeat that, no one can eat for another. In order for you to receive strength and nourishment, you must come and eat for yourself. Just then I caught sight of another familiar face. There was HMS Richards down at the end of the table. Does he come here every day too? I asked the host. Yes, he's here every, he's here for several hours every morning. Several hours, I gulped. Then I better not come because I know I don't have enough of an appetite to eat for that long. You're only expected to eat for your own needs, not for someone else's, replied the host. The evangelist has been coming to this table for years and years. He gets a tremendous amount of exercise and so works up a tremendous appetite. But this is your first morning. Maybe for today you'll want to start out with a couple of those thin, crispy breadsticks and a glass of juice. But if you eat slowly and chew thoroughly, you will gain the nourishment that you need. You will have more energy than you've, than you've had before, and you will be able to exercise more. You'll be surprised how quickly your appetite will grow as long as you continue to balance your eating with the proper exercise. I, I, I guess you're right, I sighed. But I'm, but I'm such a busy, but I'm on such a busy schedule. There's so much I want to get done. Isn't it enough for me to just think about food all day long? Can I just think about it? My host smiled. If you're not eating properly, you probably can't help but think about food all day long. But you will find that, you'll be, that you will work more efficiently if you eat a solid breakfast. And then you are able to think about your work. I was just about ready to ask him to show me to a place at the table when I thought of one more thing. Hmm. Hey, wait, wait a minute. This whole business suddenly sounds pretty legalistic. Like, what happens if I miss a day? This business of eating every day seems as though it could easily become just another works trip or formula. You wouldn't want me coming here to your banquet table just out of habit, would you? You wouldn't want that. I can't think of another habit that would bring you greater health, said my host. But you're missing the whole issue. I'm here every day waiting to serve you, waiting to share with you of the bounties that I have prepared for you. 
I'm here. The table is here. There's a place for you here. When you come to understand the importance of eating for life and growth, and when you realize how much I look forward to having your company for breakfast, why would you just walk by the table and go on your way? It's here. It's free. It's for you. Why would you ever want to stay away? Then he took my hand and led me to a, my place at the table. He filled my plate with grapes and cherries and strawberries and waffles. Oh, but wait a moment. I'm telling you about my meal. Your favorite things may be other varieties. Why don't you come to the banquet and eat for yourself? So I have four more verses to read for you in closing, and we're done. And our closing song will be on the screen. To accept the invitation to the heavenly feast and to attend the heavenly feast, we have to not go, we have to not get too full of the world's feasts. Jesus says in John chapter 6, verses 53 through 58, this. Most assuredly, and this is the key, this is the thing that we so many times forget. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread, and that bread being Jesus, will live forever. It's my prayer that God bless us as we prepare to eat that heavenly Thanksgiving feast. Take the time, guys, every day. Get to know him. It's the only way that you and I are going to get to that heavenly feast at the end. It's the only way.